Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm your host, Caroline Donato. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Pete Kratza. We are adjusting to the microphone and the feedback, and we're going to take it one painful moment at a time. Indeed. Today, we're going to talk to you about CYF appeals. Get yourself together. I, I, I can't. All right. I'm good. I'm good. We got quite a bit of feedback looking forward to the CYF appeals. So here we go. Oh, and before we get into it, we've gotten some feedback, which is quite fun. The feedback lately has not been asking for certain topics other than, yes, please follow up on the CYF appeals. But aside from that, it's people reaching out and showing their support. I'm surprised we've had prosecutors reach out and show their support. From the other side of the state? From the other side of the state. We do know who you are. <laughs> that was a very thoughtful and appreciated email. Um, that one was, we've had, I've had experts reach out wanting to be guests oh. and stating their support for the show. Uh, we've had, what was the last one we got? Quite a, quite a few inquiries. Well, I mean, like people that probably want to um, just have a, a platform on our show. So but we won't sell out listeners. No, you want a platform, you pay us. This is a business. No, I'm just oh my goodness. <laughs> no, but the cool thing is, is that this has become a platform mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to keep rolling with it. Let's go. All right. So CYF appeals. Uh, CYF appeals. Well, let's back up. When I say CYF, I mean Children Youth Services or Child Protective Services. It's an agency within Pennsylvania that investigates child abuse or issues involving children and making sure that they're okay. Do they call it different things in different counties? Because yes. like it's CYF, CYS, CYF would be Children, Youth, and Families. CPS, Child Protective Services. Yeah. All right. Um yeah, it's all, it's all an agency under the Child Protective Services Law. I prefer to. the CYF acronym myself. Well, I think that's you're used to what you know. Yes. And CYF is in Chester County specifically, that acronym. But we've handled these cases throughout the Commonwealth. Um, I've gone pretty deep into the Commonwealth on these appeals. You're a pain in the butt to the Commonwealth on these appeals. And I mean that as a compliment. I feel it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because when there's a governmental overreach, it needs to be put back in check and it affects our clients' lives. But here's what we mean by that. If somebody ever makes an accusation of child abuse that rises to the level of a criminal allegation, whether it be physical or sexual, that triggers quite a few things. That allegation goes through a child line and it goes through the local district attorney's office they start an investigation. It goes through local law enforcement, coupled with the DA's office. They start and continue an investigation. And CYF or CPS collaterally investigates the allegation of child abuse or sexual abuse. Although sometimes it's only investigated by the children and youth CPS. It's not always investigated by law enforcement. If they take a look at something and say, that's just not criminal, um, in my experience, it can just be a CYF investigation. What do you mean by that? I've never had the experience where it's not a criminal allegation. Well, without, I, unlike you, I don't obtain permission from clients to talk about cases. I understand you have permission from some clients, but um, I have for years represented educators 
and through their union. And educators frequently get referred to Childline for otherwise innocuous physical contact with a student, whether it be justified or fleeting. And I'm not talking about like sexual contact or anything like that, just physical contact. And some of them are just so like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, And the police never get involved in those. Okay. So you and I are talking about two different things. Definitely. You handle a lot of teachers. I do. And I handle a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. And so when you're handling the accusations in the context of a school investigation, that makes sense that a lot of them wouldn't rise to the level of a criminal investigation. But what I'm talking about is allegations of rape. Oh, all right. Well, you weren't specific about that. I didn't know there was much else out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But what comes across my desk is allegations of physical abuse. Uh, When it's a young child, that would be a felony allegation or sexual abuse. And there's no circumstance under which that allegation comes about and the local DA's office doesn't look at it. True. So in that context... When the local DA's office is involved, they investigate it with law enforcement, and CYF conducts a collateral investigation. And this becomes a little muddy because law enforcement will take often take the position that they are not investigating along with CYF or CPS. But CYF or CPS, I'm just going to use CYF for purposes of this podcast because it's all do. the same agency, just different counties have different names, as we said. But CYF will also rely upon the investigation by law enforcement to make a determination in their investigation. And what CYF is doing is investigating a a claim to see if there's substantial evidence of child abuse. And if there is substantial evidence of child abuse, then they put the name, the alleged perpetrator on a child line registry and they put them as a perpetrator of child abuse. Uh, They give an indicated determination indicated, you know, for purposes of the the agency world, the administrative law world, you're on the child line registry convicted, essentially, in the administrative law world. And you don't you don't get on the registry after court oversight. The CYF investigation happens. Our clients have an opportunity to participate, but then the agency makes a determination and they're put on the registry. And then that triggers an appellate process. So last time we podcasted and I said I came out of a CYF appeal, what I meant by that was it was a child line appeal. It was before a Bureau of Hearings and Appeals, which is an administrative law judge, but it's a bench trial. And they hold them a couple days in a row, sometimes one day, and they'll do it until, they'll hold it until the case is finished. So it's different than a criminal case. You don't get a jury, you just get a judge, and it's basically post-conviction relief you're seeking at the administrative level. Or like, uh, do they treat it more like probable cause or in terms of the the indicated finding? What's the judge's mindset in your experience? I mean, I don't know that they, you seem to win a lot of them. You know, I'll get these cases at all different stages. I'll get these cases uh, at the very outset of an allegation. I'll try to avoid an indicated status altogether. Or I'll get the case when it's mid-allegation, or I'll get the case after the client is named as a perpetrator on the child line registry, and I need to seek the appeal for the client. Sometimes I've gotten the case after the appellate process is concluded, 
the uh, the client lost in the appeal, and I'm appealing that determination to You're the You're talking about court. the initial appeal before the BHA, and then where do you appeal to the Commonwealth Court? Yes. You want to explain that to the listener, just briefly? <laughs> I was going to say brevity is my middle name. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, the, there's two appellate courts in Pennsylvania. There's the Superior Court that hears all criminal cases, and we're just going to speak in the confines of our world. And then there's the Commonwealth Court that hears administrative appeals. So... It's a little confusing because in the context of a CYF case, to even get before a court, which is the Bureau of Hearings and Appeals, which essentially is the trial court, you need to appeal. But then if the Bureau of Hearings and Appeals gives a decision that the person thinks isn't fair or is unlawful or isn't right, then you appeal it to the Commonwealth Court. And if you don't like what they have to say, you could potentially ask for an appeal to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. Yeah. And what's really frustrating about the CYF world is the lack of court Just oversight. Just one thing? Well, there's so many things, and I'm trying to be nice. And I know that we have such a platform now where so many people listen. So okay. sometimes our perspective is given with an air of... Cynicism? Softness, I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> We're not on the same page yet. No. <laughs> no, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it light over here. Okay. Uh, but without co court oversight, and the burden is much lower. It's substantial evidence that can't be contradicted by um, uncorroborated. Wait, let me find the actual What's thing the, eventually. Just, uh, and you don't need to do it verbatim. Substantial What's, evidence. Let me just get this. Right. Is defined as evidence which outweighs inconsistent evidence and which a reasonable person would accept as adequate to support a conclusion. And what's the definition of abuse that we're fighting? Oh, physical abuse or yeah, sexual abuse? abuse? I mean, it's usually defined under the crimes code. Okay. All right. Yeah. One thing you said earlier in my that doesn't necessarily um, align with my experience. I think any time that CYF is investigating your client, you should assume that they are absolutely sharing, inf if, especially if it's a serious allegation. That they're sharing information with the police, that they're uh, trying to get potentially your client to speak, um, you know, without direct police involvement, but kind of backdooring in um, a, a statement that otherwise they might need to Mirandize your client. Um, I've had CYF investigators, you know, want to have somebody taken to... Um, for a forensic interview, forensic meaning a, basically a police interview. So I'm always um, cautious when it deals particularly with whether to, to share information with CYF. And I'm sure you are too. Absolutely. And let me back up when I mentioned earlier that I've had a lot of success here. Not every case is being challenged. Right. So I'm not saying that every CYF investigation and report on the child line registry, I have then appealed and challenged. It's the ones that have merit to appeal, the ones that have merit to challenge. And basically, those are the cases where the accusations are flat out false. They're just not true. Those are the ones where there's been success. Mm -hmm. Uh and it's yeah, I mean, we represent some people where it's clear, you know, they're accused of a crime. Um, it's a serious allegation. There's clearly at least 
probable cause to suspect that they committed a crime. Right. And the last thing we're going to do is start fighting an indicated status at that point. If we go to trial and we're acquitted, then you can revisit an indicated status, can't you? Well, yes. Yeah. Well, no. So what happened? No, it, sort of. So if somebody's put on the child line registry with an indicated status, they have 90 days to appeal that decision. So if you have a client that you know is going to trial on the accusation, then what you would do is you would appeal the indicated status. But because of the pending criminal case, you would have a stay, stay. on okay. that appeal. That's cool. Yeah. So it's not like the indicated would stay there perpetually. The appeal to the BHA, which is the Bureau of Hearings and Appeals, if you ever hear me use that acronym, would be paused until the outcome of the criminal case. So in the circumstance that you just described, you'd go to trial if you won, then that would reignite the indicated appeal. And then you'd go to a hearing before the BHA to duel it out. And they could still try to they pursue. Could, they could still try to pursue it. I mean, a lot of the but cases. But it would only be indicated. They could never get founded because your client had been acquitted. Right. So a founded status happens when a court makes, a collateral court makes a finding of abuse. Like your client either pleads guilty or is convicted, then indicated, that was me snapping, becomes founded. Or if the client has a collateral protection from abuse order and goes to trial on that PFA and a court makes a finding of abuse there. Or if the client is subjected to collateral dependency proceedings and a court makes a finding of abuse. I didn't realize it was any uh, collateral proceeding. Wow. All right. So it's it's really when you have these allegations, criminal defense lawyers have to be mindful of just how far reaching the collateral consequence to every step they take is. When it comes to speaking with CYF, back to your point, we do have to be careful with what information we share. But in the context of the cases that I've been dealing with, it's when prosecution's been declined. And CYF will say, well, you know, the burden's different. Not for charges. Not really, because you need probable cause for the charging. Right. The prosecution's declined, and then CYF tries to push it through, through the appeal, notwithstanding other evidence. And the cases that I've been uh, most frequently involved in is where my client talks to CYF willingly. Clearly, I'm not, by the way, involved with a lot of these when they're just talking to CYF as much as CYF wants to talk to them. But they're giving statements to CYF. The case I have permission to talk about, and I'm, I'm going to maintain anonymity and um, be very general anyway with it because these are very sensitive cases. I actually did represent the client when the CYF investigation was ongoing. And I was working closely with CYF to show that the allegation made against my client uh, had no merit. And it was a very serious, vile allegation. It had no merit. I had my client meet with the CYF caseworker, give a statement. We gave multiple different types of evidence to the CYF caseworker to show just how little merit this accusation had. And notwithstanding that, and there was no other evidence to corroborate, by the way, the initial accusation, they still put him on the registry. So would you do it the next time that way? I think, I don't mean to give you the lawyer answer. I think it depends. Depends on what? Well, it depends on the factual circumstances. With that case, I'd still do it that way because... And ultimately, with that specific case, after I cross-examined the complainant and I cross-examined some other witnesses, CYF did withdraw. 
How long did that take? Um, like start to finish? A year and a half? Mm-hmm. And a lot of time and a lot of resources and a lot a lot of this time goes into resources is a euphemism for money. Right. For legal fees and for expert fees. Oftentimes what happens is the CYF indicated status will be made. And then a solicitor actually a solicitor is a lawyer for CYF will look at the case once the appeal is filed and really put an eye towards it. In that circumstance, if you have a good solicitor who has an analytical mind and is thoughtful of the collateral consequences to even the person making the accusation and the family involved, you can try to negotiate a withdrawal. Right. I mean, their function there is as much a a gatekeeper, kind of like a prosecutor, um, as anything. And the worst thing that a solicitor can do is just parrot you know, the the position of the agency because they don't want to cross them. And more and more frequently, I'm seeing that. It's a shame. Um, yeah, I mean, I see parallels and you're not going to get me all worked up again like you did on a prior episode. But in um, CYF investigations, I see a lot of parallels to what we we're talking about in protection from abuse allegations. In other words, frequently... There's a family dynamic, uh, you know, a, a, a divorce um, or a couple that has already divorced and they're fighting over custody and perceived or actual leverage in custody is gained by making an accusation either in protection from abuse or in that arena or, um, you know, a child abuse allegation. Upon reflection, I would say... A vast majority of my CYF appeals and that kind of work, I'm like thinking over 80%, there's a custody dispute involved. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice if the people investigating these things and or the people deciding these things paid attention to stuff like that a little bit more thoroughly. Yeah. Um, Although we wouldn't be as busy. No, they, they keep us very busy, but they have real consequences. So when you're on the child line registry, that translates to coaching your kid's team. That translates to working in a school. Working anywhere around children. Working anywhere around children. That translates to your parental rights in the context of a custody dispute. You have to disclose that and the court considers that. It's just really damaging. And above all, frankly, the the most outrageous allegations that I've had to deal with that do stem from custody issues or hostile parental environments. The appeal is taken because the parent being accused wants their kid to know that they did not abuse them, that they love them, that they fought tooth and nail to get their parental rights back to be with them. It's gut-wrenching. So in the criminal sphere, we're dealing with liberty, but collateral to that in the context of a child abuse accusation, we're dealing with parental rights. And as I became a parent, it's even more gut-wrenching to see because I I can now feel it. Like I know what that would be like. And it's almost worse than losing your liberty because what does your liberty matter if you can't have your kid? Depends on the kid. (laughs) Did I miss anything on this topic? I don't think so. All right. 
Uh, that's it for CYF Appeals. Thank you for tuning in. If you have questions about this, let us know. We try to keep it, you know, high level, make, make it easy to digest because it's a very complicated tangent to the criminal world that we've had to navigate. You can email us at subject to cross at McElroy.com. Thank you. Signing off.